Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of combat sports, the great Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? Good, Ken. Uh, as always, you know, that's almost part of our regular, kind of like Johnny Carson show. Remember the Johnny Carson show? He was so great with his sidekick, Ed, Ed, sidekick Ed McMahon. I mean, they were they were terrific. They always had uh, similar dialogues, some certain things that were consistent whenever they whenever they uh, started off the show. But as always, uh, you're better than, you're not as good as you. You know, that can always be my comeback. Not as good as you, but good. I'm blessed. <laughs> Very good. You're on Shelter Island enjoying a nice vacation in a beautiful setting, a beautiful home there with your family. And right away, I and all the um, fans could notice that you traveled your barber because you look well-groomed, cut up, nice, fresh cut. And, I got um, a funny one for you there. I went over to Greenport. You know, when you try to get a haircut on vacation, I said to the guy, just like cut it like a fade right here, just a little tight and then fade it up. And there were two young kids. And in, and, and I sat down and I like an 82-year-old Bolivian guy comes in and I go, <laughs> how you know he was Bolivian? I'm just curious. Uh, because uh, I said, where are you from? He oh. said, Bolivia. So I said, Who's the best at cutting a fade here? Because anytime you go into a barbershop, it's like rolling the dice. And the guy and the two young kids go, no, 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 he's okay. Well, he cuts my hair. I look at the side. It's like a like a line, like almost like he just cut the bottom and left it. I looked at the one young kid and I go, buddy, come on, man. look at this. And he's like, all right, come here, sit down. He goes, I got to make it tighter, though. Next thing you know, I was like, did I ask for the Kim Jong-il? What are you doing? And I, I was so flustered, so I'm stuck with this haircut until it grows out. Did, did they recognize who you are? <laughs> no. No, Colin, you're laughing. Did they? No, he didn't recognize me. Uh, Should have walked right out. Listen, um, <laughs> when you say Bolivia, it reminds me of the movie Butch Cassidy and his Sundance Kid. Remember, they were robbing banks <laughs> yeah, all over yeah. the place, and they were yeah. finally trying to think of the future, like their future wasn't long, obviously, but they were trying to think, like, wh where are we going to go when we finish robbing this one? Bolivia. And, and I, <laughs> well, Bolivia, how'd you come up with that? I was looking at it. I was looking on the map. Bolivia, that's that's the place we go. <laughs> and and they got unarmed banks there. So we'll always be good. We're, we'll yeah. be fine. But um, you also ventured out a little bit on Saturday, I know. There was a big UFC card on Long Island. Um, that's right. Very highly anticipated. And yep. great crowd sold out from what I... I believe I saw it was sold out. Yeah. Um, I watched it. I watched the main fights. And you were invited. You were given a media pass by the UFC. And, um, you know, of course. I mean, why wouldn't they want you there? They, they were a little short on star power this weekend. So, obviously, they reached <laughs> out. They figured, okay, that's good. Look, I'm just wondering if you have a job for the UFC after the weekend. Um, if you're like heading up PR for Dana White or no. or modeling or some, something. <laughs> I just hope you still can put a set time for this uh, every week and, and that you're not, you know, that you didn't obligate too much time to any new ventures that might have popped up your way. But tell us about Saturday because uh, I think a lot of people would like to hear about your... I heard you didn't tell me yet, but you warned me that you had a little bit of a... A little bit of an adventure that's worth talking yeah. about. 
Yep. So I get there and uh, shout out to Dave Lockett at the UFC. He's our guy. He's the head of PR over there. He arranges the guests. Couldn't be a nicer guy. He actually looks a little like uh, DC, Daniel Cormier. I had never met him before. So I get there. He's, I, I asked him, hey, can I get a media credential? He said, yep, I got you. Oh, you're on the list. And I had to submit a bunch of info, a headshot, like a, a photo, a recent photo to put on the pass. And I had, was reading on the internet of people saying, oh, the UFC doesn't give media credentials to anyone. It's really hard to get it. So I was like, oh, yes. I got now, in my mind, I'm sitting press row. But first of all, you're not, you're not everyone. You're, <laughs> you're not everyone, number one. That's true. And, and very happy they took good care of you because you're representing our show. You're out there representing That's the right. show. And I can't wait to hear this story the rest of <laughs> and how the fans must have been thrilled to see you there. I'm just wondering if you worked anyone's corner. But go ahead. The, the fans couldn't have been better. Of course, every single one, the first thing they say, where's Teddy? Every time. Where's Teddy? I'm like, ah, Teddy, not here today. Teddy's not here today. Uh, but I am. <laughs> so I get there. I get there. And I get the credential. <laughs> so it's kind of a laugh at my own expense. It says on the side of it, no floor. Now, I don't know what that means, but I can assume it means I don't have access to the press row like I had Father envisioned people. in my Father head. I'm not people. octagon side. <laughs> so I go up to the media room and it's like, you know, there's a bunch of people in there. I don't really recognize anybody. And the, the winning fighter comes into the media room after the fight. The couple people there ask the same questions. And the TVs are on and there's food, but you're up in the rafters. I mean, we're almost on the roof. We're almost watching through a skylight. So I'm watching and halfway through, right as the main card starts, I look down, press row. There's like three people sitting there and there's probably accommodations for 50. And there's two rows, but no one's in the front row of the media, of the press row. Obviously, there was saving room for you and possibly so, your entourage. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So... Now, I know that this probably means I don't have floor access, but I'm like, you know what? Let me just walk down and see what's cracking. Let me see what happens. I walk down. No one's I walk past the security. They're like, they look at me, look at the, yep, come on in. So I just go and sit down right in the front. And there's a name tag in front of me of someone else who's clearly not there. The main card has started. But as I'm sitting there, I know I'm probably not supposed to be there and probably shouldn't sit down, but no one's there. There's like five people in press row. And, uh, but I can see them looking at me. Like, as I sat down, I kind of gave someone like, Hey, how you doing? Like a courtesy. Hello. They just ignore me. And now in hindsight, they're probably looking like, who is this idiot sitting in Joe Blow's seat? Like, doesn't he know the protocol? Of course I didn't, but. Don't they you know, know who always, you are? Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm, I'm assuming they did only because of the affiliation with you, but no one said anything. I stay there for the Burgos fight uh, the kid from Long Island and, um, He's fighting at one of Eric Nixick's guys. So after the fight, Eric Nixick sees me, comes walking away. Hey, Ken, what's up? So we're chit-chatting. But in my mind, I'm guessing the journalists are all impartial. They're not friends with these people. They don't have relationships like we do. So, you know, it was probably an oddity. I'm, I'm assuming that the kid stopped and was talking to me, that Eric stopped and was talking to me. So I see people like talking and talking to security. So I'm like, oh, they're, uh -huh. getting, ready to, they're getting ready to throw me out of here. No, so never. I, so I get up and I just start strolling away and someone comes running over with Dave, who I had never met before and grabs onto my pass. And he's like, Hey, let me just see your pass here. And he's like, Oh, Ken. 
it's me, Dave. And I was like, oh, what's up? So immediately I was like, Dave. They were getting all like, these reports, all these reports <laughs> of the Zen for Trader. And, and, and then, oh, it's Ken. Hey, it's yeah. okay. It's okay, guys. Dave, Put away I the said, tranquilizer guns. It's yeah, okay. Exactly. Put away Dude, the cuffs. How dare this guy? We've been we've been writing these anonymous columns for twenty years, and we're only in the second row. Who's this guy sitting in the front row? It was like that kind of thing. Like, who's this guy think he is? But Dave, when he came over, I was super apologetic. I said, Dave, I, I'm sorry if I jammed you up or if I broke any protocols. I know there was no one sitting there. I was like, I don't, I don't, I didn't know for sure what this meant. He's like, dude, don't even worry about it. Security was just doing their job. You're welcome anytime. We love you guys. You're the best. Don't worry about it. Next time we'll have that removed, the no pat, the no floor thing. But I was like, I realized that I was like probably gonna like get in a little bit of trouble. But at the same time, I was like, you know what? If I'm going to sit up here in the rafters, I'll just next time buy a ticket, sit ringside if I'm going to go. Because, you know, watch it from there. I'd rather watch it at home on TV. But Dave was the best. He couldn't have been nicer. And uh, <laughs> it was just funny that they were probably like, what an idiot this guy is. Look at him sitting there. But uh, They found out quick. They found out <laughs> quick who's got the power. Yeah, who's, exactly. who's got the power? You know, when yeah. you first went in there, it was reminding me when you were saying you walked right down to the front row. It, it was reminding me of that commercial years ago with the with the baseball announcer and player Bob Yuka. Remember those oh, great yeah. commercials? Must be in the front row. Must be in the front row. <laughs> Teddy, and then when exactly he gets there, I they did. got security grabs him. Come on, fella. What? what what's about? Come on, come with us, fella. And, <laughs> and exactly next thing you know, like, uh, next thing you know, they're up like, with the pigeons. I gave them like a courtesy hello, like, hey, what's up, guys? Oh, right here? I'll just sit in the front row. So while I was there, it was awesome. Oh. I mean, it was the closest you could get without working the corner. Oh, it's beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> but Dave Lockett Love is design. the best. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate you. You're the best. I'm sorry again if I caused any Thank problems you, with the other um, media personalities or journalists. I know they probably have a strict protocol that they adhere to, so sorry if I offended anyone. But it was an awesome event. We'll talk about it in a minute. But let's jump in and talk about some boxing because there's a lot to cover. Let's. I've lost 16 fryer. pounds. Can I say that? Can I be that? Um, Hell yeah! I was going to unabashed and uh, uh, and whatever you want to call the words that aren't good words, as far as uh, not bragging, but just feeling good that I've lost uh, 16 pounds. You know, well, you should brag. Losing weight is a, is a very very hard. If it was easy, everyone would do it. Oh, just uh, I want to get to that thirty-pound mark, but uh, I am—I'm getting there. I'm a little past the midway point, or the halfway point of where I want to get. So Perfect. I want to be like you someday. You Over know. the hump. I'll be like you don't want to be like me. I'm a tortured soul. I want to. No, no, no. I want to be like you in the fit, fit, and you know, um, able to go front row all the time. <laughs> Hey guys, just want to take a quick pause to give a thank you to today's sponsor, Athletic Greens. They've been with us from the beginning. It's the all-in-one daily drink to support better health and peak performance. If you know anything, you know that I love Athletic Greens. It's super easy and convenient to use. I put one scoop in the special shaker bottle that comes with it. Boom. Easy peasy, fresh and breezy. These guys spent 10 years with top nutritionists and doctors to create this formula. It's made from 75 whole food sourced ingredients, so it's got vitamins, minerals, all the stuff you're looking for. It's like an insurance policy for your body's health and immunity. It's all you need to stay on top of your health game. So whatever else you take, and really you only need Athletic Greens. Special offer to our listeners, 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash atlas. 
to get the 10 free travel packs. Again, it's athleticgreens.com slash atlas. Today's episode is also brought to you by one of my favorite plant-based products. It's Feel Free from, from Botanic Tonics, B-O-T-A-N-I-C, tonics.com. Use the promo code ATLAS to save a whopping 40% off your first order. This stuff is a, a natural euphoric plant-based elixir. I Honestly, it's supposed to create a calming effect. I take it before I run and I've had some of the best runs of my life, including races. So botanic tonics, feel free, give them a shot. Use the promo code Atlas, 40% off your first order. All right, let's get into, let's get into, uh, take us away there, kid. All right, on Friday night, uh, Arnold Barboza wins a unanimous decision over Danielito Zarilla. Zarilla gave him some trouble late in the fight, but more or less a pretty uh, one-sided affair, save for the last round when uh, Zarilla realized he's behind on points and started flailing and throwing bombs and and connected a few shots with Barboza. But other than that, relatively un uneventful, one-sided fight between two undefeated fighters from my perspective but how'd you like that one yeah i mean that listen that that hits it um the only thing that i would add to it is that zaril is probably better than barbosa made him look because barbosa is a good solid technician who's got a good work rate and who just he, he's not a puncher so he's gonna go rounds and he's gonna he's gonna outbox you if he's at his best you know, if he's on his A game, he's going to outbox you. He's going to go in and out on you. He's going to put punches together on you. He's going to counter punch. He's going to lead and get off first, too, when he gets you a little bit hesitant and tentative. And really, his two biggest assets that he used and put forward was his jab, his legs a little bit, too, but his jab and his feints. He really kind of showed the lost art of fainting. He, he fainted, like the old times would say, if you know how to faint, you can make the other guy go down and tie his shoes. Yeah. Again, the lost art of fainting. Uh, if you really care about it, again, I'm going to be unabashed. I'm going to be uh, a little bit uh, what uh, you shouldn't be, maybe as far as putting myself forward for a second. But you go to dynamic striking. I've done these... I, I I am proud of him. I've done these fight instructionals uh, videos. Uh, yeah, they're incredible. If anyone hasn't checked them out, if, if you're into boxing, and people ask me all the time, does Teddy coach anyone or train anyone? He'll coach anyone and train anyone via dynamic strike. And if you go check out those videos, I think, what do you have now, 14 or 15? No, we got 15 of them, and we got three yeah. more coming up. They're not ready yet. They're going to be mental ones about the confidence, about being mentally strong, and one on anti-bullying for the parents and for the kids, why they get bullied and what they need to understand about that, about the bullies, about the whole environment of that and what to do with it. Those will be coming out. Those are mental ones. But the instruction ones, I'm, again, excuse me for putting my foot forward this way with that stuff, but it really came to mind when I watched Barbosa because it isn't a lost art. It really is. And I've done 15 of them, and one of them is on the art of fainting. Um, and Barbosa... He he was he kept Zorilla, who's a decent puncher, a, a good solid fighter. He's he, you know he was just outgunned. He was he was outworked. 
Uh, the style didn't fit him real well. But Zerilla was there trying. He didn't cave in. It was a one-sided fight all the way to the 10th round. It started getting a little interesting, maybe a little before the 10th. But you hit it on the button. One-sided fight, one-way traffic, all Barbosa, just too busy, too, too smart. He controlled the rhythm, the pace of the fight all night long. But Zerilla never caved in. There's something to be said about just being mentally tough being resilient uh being a pro being steady never getting fully discouraged he he got frustrated but he never gave in and he was there all night trying to do what he could trying to time barbosa trying to trying to counter him in spots because he knew he couldn't stay up with him with the work rate that he had but barbosa just kept control of the theme of the fight the, the music of the fight. It was his music. and But Zerilla, because of his mentality, he was still there, and he was good enough to slip and block punches. Other than the uppercuts and some straight right hands, he wasn't getting caught clean. He was making a lot of those shots, the big ones, miss when he had to. But in the 10th round, he finally got what he wanted. He was looking to time the right hand all night. And he finally did. He caught Barbosa, which you can catch guys, Ken, that are a little bit ahead of you, a little smarter, a little more advanced maybe, if that's fair to say. Um, You can catch them if you throw with them sometimes. And he threw, you have to have the mentality to do that and not be hesitant about doing that, worried about getting hit. That's where he was a pro, and that's where it showed. He, He threw with them. And he caught him with the right hand. He buckled him a little bit. And I tell you, Barbosa showed a good chin. And Barbosa got hurt. He got hurt again in the round. And he survived the round. It was a big round for Zerilla. I mean, it's not like Barbosa was staggering all over the place. He handled it pretty well, but definitely was hurt. Uh, it was Zerilla's round. It was too little too late. Uh, Barbosa won a 10-round decision. And um, at the end, because of the finish by Zerilla... It gave the look or the impression maybe to some that it was a closer fight than it was. But it really wasn't, other than that Zerilla always hung in there. Kind of like we talk about in a basketball game or a football game. The, the other side is really getting out worked and, you know, getting out played, but they're hanging in. They're hanging in. You know, he was well behind, I thought, on my scorecards, but he was hanging in. And um, he got a shot in the tent, but it just wasn't enough. Uh, Barbosa did a good job. Yeah, well, from that one, we go to uh, Ryan Garcia versus the human punching bag, Fortuna. And I only say that because Fortuna, I mean, and, and I'm curious to hear your take if you think Garcia just looked so good or if Fortuna looked so bad. I mean, I've got the punch stats here. We never talk about punch stats, but the only reason I wanted to look at this was because it seemed like Fortuna was like not throwing any punches through like six rounds where he got stopped. He threw a total of he landed a total of 24 punches. So you're talking four punches per round, and Ryan was just teeing off on him at times as Fortuna just kept his uh, hands up and eventually stopped him. It looked like he might have hurt him. He might have had some kind of injury. When you hit him with that first hook that put him down on the temple, it wasn't like he went down like he was rocked. It was like he got hurt, almost like he might have hurt something in his eye because it was – you know, it was like a delayed reaction, and he didn't look staggered. It looked like something hurt his head, like like broke his eye socket. But nothing came out about that, though, Ken. After the no, fight, no, as far as I'm aware, of, and I, he didn't complain about it. No, 
but I'm just saying what I what I saw was almost yeah. like it, 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 and he had like a weird swelling on the side of his temple after the fight. Then he put him down with a body shot. Then he got him out of there. I mean, again, do you think Ryan Garcia looked that good or Fortuna just looked that bad or a combination of both? Because I don't know what to read into that. I know that he's really screaming for Tank Davis, and that's a fight I think everyone would love to see. I don't think it gets made. There's a caveat there. Let me, as long as yeah. you went there, let me jump ahead a little bit and one, go. One and quick thing, too. Yeah. Steve, Steve Kim had a great tweet. He said <laughs> after the fight, you know, Ryan Garcia was, thank God, thank God for everything. God is the greatest. He said he should have been as thankful to the matchmakers at uh, Golden Boy for the fight. <laughs> I well, thought that was no, pretty funny. No, I, I would agree with Steve. Listen. And you said the same thing when I said, hey, good fight this weekend. You said, yeah, easy win for Garcia. And I was like, I oh, did shit, say that. I Fortuna might have some, uh, might put up a little fight here, but not even close. No, easy fighting as uh, to grab a corner phrase from the great Floyd Mayweather easy work. Easy yeah, work. Sure. You know, easy money, easy work. But um, look, first, I'll, I'll segue back, but I'll piggyback off of you mentioning. Tank Davis said he's yelling for Tank Davis at 140 pounds. Big difference. Yeah. Uh, if, if nothing else, Garcia, I'm not saying he ain't brave. or not, Come on, let's not even get into kiddie land. But what I'm saying is that he knows he has an edge on him at 140, and I'll tell you why. He's got a bigger skeleton, and he's yeah. only 23 years old. He's still filling out, and it shows. Tank's young, too, yeah. but he don't have that skeleton to fill out the way that Garcia does. And he's filling out. He might wind up at the end of his career at 147. I don't know. But he's he's big. And he was much bigger than Fortuna. You can see it. Much, much. I, I'd like, like to know what he weighed classes. when he got in the ring. Yeah, I'd like to know what he and what Fortuna weighed, really, individually when they got in the ring. It would be interesting. But he, with that skeleton, able to fill in at 23 years of age, he's going to have an edge on these lightweights. And he's going yeah. to gonna vacate that that weight class which i think he's being smart because the best competition the best fighters are at lightweight not junior welter light i don't care what you say um i i think that uh the kid from london who's still undefeated um taylor uh, taylor i i think he's overrated i do that's just my opinion I, again uh I, I get I, I hear my brothers and sisters already over there across the pond. They're they're already getting a little upset by me saying that. It's okay. Don't let me interrupt your dart game, please. Um, you know, just pick up the Guinness and continue on. Uh, you know, the the crumpets are on me. Uh, if I'm wrong. I'll do what I did last time. I have my wife make crumpets and I eat them uh, right in front of you guys. But I do. I, I think that there's not the same talent, the same really high. It reminds me almost of the 80s when the welterweight division was unbelievable with the Durants and the Sugar Ray Leonard's and the Tommy Hearns and the Benitez's. And the, I mean, I just go on and on and on and on. And the lightweights now, the light heavyweights is a hell of a division too, but the lightweights now is a tremendous division that's reminiscent of the talent that was around in the 80s. The only thing that's not reminiscent is they're not fighting each other. That's the only thing that's disappointing and not the same. But he's smart to get out of there. Uh, and, and if they want to follow him, they'll follow him at their own peril, their own risk, and at his advantage. 
because he does have that skeleton. He will have the edge of being a bigger guy. And he's smart. And De La Hoya and them are smart. And I'll tell you another thing. Don't expect to see any of these fights that we would chomp at the bit to see, no matter what he says. Right now, because De La Hoya already lost Canelo, all he's got is this guy. I mean, he's hanging on by a string. That's all he's got, Ken. Not and not. he's he, not he going to risk up. his golden goose, his new golden goose. He's not risking him. He's going to make money fighting guys that are mirages. Guys like Fortuna. Honest. Look, you don't like the truth. Don't watch the show. You, he's going to fight guys, and they're out there, that have good records. Uh, Canelo did it. He did it with the Plants, and he did it with the BJ um, Saunders, Saunders. And, and the guys from Europe, all those guys. And I'm not knocking those guys. They're okay, but they weren't what they were purported to be, what they were built up to be. It, it, they built up a, a mirage with their record and, and made you think, oh, yeah, we're going to get a real fight. That's what they're going to do, and they're doing and listen, it's smart. It's it's business. They're doing that right now with Garcia, where they're going to build up the Fortunas and all these other guys and, and build them up. Look, they got a good record. Look, they were a former champ. Look, they, look, look, look. Yeah, look. Look as he goes through them, one after another. <laughs> uh, you know, and he just builds up his record until finally, finally, when it's big enough to fight somebody. But that's, I think that's the track they're going to take. That's the track they're on. And, um... As far as the fight, um, did you want to say something before I break down the fight? Because I, yeah, I know there I was said, some. I wanted to say that Oscar has already showed his hand. He said when Canelo um, lost to Bivol, and credit to Canelo for taking a very tough fight where he yes, was like a 50-50 yes. fight. Uh -huh. Oscar I think you I think you underrated people. I got to tell you, I really yeah. do. Going in, yeah. he he doesn't anymore. But yes, give him credit. But De La Hoya came out and said, I would have never let him take that fight. It was too close because it was oh, even please. close to because it was close to 50-50. Oscar was like, yeah, we don't take 50-50 fights. We take fights that win almost 90% sure we're going to win. Oh, so please. He's already yeah. shown his, yeah, his Then how come you fought Triple G? You're going to tell me those were 50-50 fights back, <laughs> back then? Oh, you really with a straight face? But come on. Put a lie detector test on. But strap yourself up and then, and then say this crap. Come on, stop. It's just that you're not his promoter no more and you're taking, you're taking shots and, and right. again, you're trying to get back, which is kind of embarrassing. Again, I'm That's sorry, right. but I got to go back to that comedian, Manis, uh, what was his name, Maniscalco? Um, yeah, Sebastian. Sebastian yeah, when, when he would say, aren't you embarrassed? Hey, what do you think? You think, you think Ryan Garcia, uh, what do you think of him versus Progray at 140? Listen, I know, fight. yeah, look, you love Pro Gray. You're friendly with him. You became friendly with him with the show and everything. And nothing against that. That's good. I like him, too. I like him as a person. I like him as a fighter. He fought a very close fight. His only loss to Josh Taylor. Very close fight. He lost it, yeah. but yeah. very razor thin. Um, over there in enemy territory in Josh, Josh's you know, home country of, uh, and home fans of London. But... I just think he's too big, he's too long, and his style's not good for him because he's so long, just like he was with Fortuna. He's yeah. so long with his arms, and he's so big now, um, and he's talented. He is talented. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't think those guys are going to give him... Uh, they give him a decent fight, but I, I just don't think they're going to beat him. Um, I'll tell you. Let me, 
let me break down the fight first. All right, um, hold on one sec. Before the British fans get upset, we know Josh Taylor's from Scotland. The fight was Scotland. In London, I'm sorry. Josh, I'm sorry. Josh Taylor's Scottish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The fight was over there. Saving He's, us a couple abusive no, messages. No, no, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you guys, yes, you're right. Um, he wears the kilts. Um, uh, I, I'd like to see him wear a kilt. I love those kilts. I love when I they come too. in with those. With those. I, I love uh, Ken Buchanan. Uh, yep. He was from Scotland. He was their, right. one of their great lightweight champions. I hope they remember that guy. He got beat by Duran. Boy, that was a rough one. You know, yeah. Duran was like a savage. He mauled him. I mean, Ken Buchanan was a beautiful boxer. And and <laughs> and uh, there was nothing beautiful about Duran except that he was vicious and he was beautiful as a fighter with his style, which was, was aggression, but smart aggression. But especially back when he started and he was a hungry kid from the streets of Panama, oh my goodness, he, 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 was, he was ferocious. I mean, and he just wouldn't stop coming but but also smart you know good reflexes moving his head but stay on your good punches stay to the body and he knew if he had a boxer like Buchanan he had to go to the body take the air out of the tires put water in the basement like I used to always say uh when I was calling the fights and that's exactly what he did one of them might have traveled a little low I hear the Scottish fans already say Teddy he hit him low uh, <laughs> I don't know I, at the end of the day Duran was winning the fight anyway uh, and and Buchanan was just he was he was just great. He was a great boxer, and you got a lot of lot of heritage, a lot of history, of course, over there with fighters, with golf, with uh, with everything. But um, so we're not we're not forgetting that what his uh, connections are over there, where he comes from. But uh, at the end of the day, the fight was they picked the right guy. You asked me, was it a matter of how good he looked or how bad Fortuna was? It was a combination. He looked good. Ryan Garcia is very talented. He's very talented. <laughs> and he had the right guy in front of him to show his wares, to really show off. And at the end of the day, there's always danger a little bit. But he got touched a little bit, but Fortuna couldn't affect him. And he really, there was no danger, little danger minimal danger um really controlled as much as you could control it because the matchup was perfect for Garcia and look he went in there he did what he had to do he looked very good um and he he used you know I was laughing the commentators were saying how come he's using the right hand uh they were talking something about him using the right hand in different ways and uh you know, because his forte is the left hook. And I was thinking to myself, look, you're fighting a southpaw. The right hand's going to be a little more available. You're going to look for it. And maybe he'll look for it to set up the left hook. And sure enough, he did. He looked for it to say, and by the way, when you're talking about tweets, I tweeted I tweeted before the fight started. Uh, Rob put it up as always. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful for that. He put it up. And I said, this is going to be an easy fight. I said, he's going to be too long, too young too big, and too fast. And he was. And he just was. Um, he was tapping them, pot-shotting them with right hands, and then later on he showed you why. One, because he had a southpaw, he could touch him with it. 
and two, because he was going to use it to set up the left hook end, which is his forte, which is what finished the fight. And he went to the body. The body punch was reminiscent of when he dropped Luke Campbell in his first really big fight when he stepped up to Luke Campbell, um, the former champion over, uh, in, from London. Um, I got that one right. He's not Scottish, right? He's, he's English, right? Um, I, I believe so. And um, he, he, same thing. Uh, just like Campbell thought it was coming high and he raised his elbows up, sure enough, Fortuna thought it was coming high, it was going low, left the body wide open, he crashed into his ribs, and then he dropped him, dropped him I think two more times, three times. At the end, Fortuna gave up. Um, I mean, you know, you could, you could slice it up any way or dress it up any way you want, but he did. He gave up, he spit his mouthpiece up, he took the count on his knees, and look, it was a, it was a one-sided show. Um... I want to touch on something that Ryan Garcia's changed a lot. He's evolved a lot. He's got tattoos all over the place. Hey, look, that's his choice. Um, I hope it's a good uh, evolvement. Uh, I know he's got a good family. I know he's always a good kid. He always presented himself really well. You win the title, you can change. You, you get successful, you can change, period. Whether it's for the good or the bad, time will always tell. But he's changed. He, he's, you could just see it. He's changed. Maybe he's growing. Hey, Teddy, he's growing. He's maturing. He's becoming, he's coming into his own. All right, I'm with you. Fine, whatever it is. But I noticed the change. And I think anyone, if you're looking at all, could notice the change. He went through a tough time. And he's talking very cocky now and very confident. And that's good. That's fine. He deserves it. He earned the right to do that. But my job is to point things out to people. That's all. To interpret things. That's all. And it doesn't mean I'm right all the time, but it means I'm using a lot of experience to do this. And I think that he talked about almost like angry. Oh, you dad is that. Oh, you people. You're talking about mental health. Mental health. I'm, you're strong to overcome mental health. It's not a weakness. I agree. I agree. It's a difficult thing, mental health. Matter of fact, my foundation, uh, my Dr. Atlas Foundation is out there in the neighborhoods, very difficult neighborhoods, a lot of stuff going on where we actually are using renting paying for a mental health mobile unit that we're bringing into neighborhoods to help people in these issues. The issues of, of young kids thinking about suicide, drugs, bullying, all that stuff. Uh, the, the COVID, people being scared people having doubts, people being unsure of what's next. There's problems out there. Uh, and so I understand that I'm involved in it. So I think I have a little bit of a, maybe a little bit of a right to talk about it, being that I am a little bit involved in it more maybe than, than, than the average person, uh, because I'm able to. I'm able to be involved, and I'm blessed. I'm privileged that we can do this to help people with the foundation. And... He's talking about like he was angry, Ken. Like, you know, you guys that doubted me, you guys. And, and I know part of it is he's building up that us against you, you know, the us against the world sort of thing, which works. It can work for people. I get it. It gives you incentive. It gives you motivation. It, it gives you something to, to be strong about. It helps you be stronger. And it, it helps you be committed. Uh, it makes you feel like you, that you have a cause and, and that all works. And he's using anything he can in this business, tough business, to help him. So I get that. But then he's, 
like I said, he, you can see he's taking shots at people, you know, um, saying uh, he's been on our show twice and we appreciate it. And I've talked to him one-on-one. And, and like I said, I appreciate him as a person. I appreciate his family. I appreciate the kid that he's, that he's been brought up to be, uh, the things he's been taught. And I know he's a young father. So all those things are going on in his life. But I think when I recognize that when he's saying that and he's being so defensive about it and a little bit angry, he was those things. Here's the thing. He did have, the, he was going through a time. You can't get away from the truth. The thing is that, give him all the credit, he's overcome it. But he was going through a doubt in his life, a cloud in his life, a storm in his life, uh, a, a difficult time. Life can be difficult. Life can be scary. But then when you add to your life that you're a professional boxer and you have to go down those dark corridors towards difficult things, scary things, risky things, dangerous things, when you add that to the mix, you can have a witch's brew of problems, of, of things in the psyche, in the mind area. And the mind is everything in life, everything. 75% of boxing is the mind. 75%, 80% of it is in life is the mind. Where you, how you feel mentally, emotionally, what you believe, what you don't believe, what affects you, what you don't let affect you, how you handle things that affect you. And yeah, life's scary. And when you add to it that you're a boxer, it's even more scary. So I get it. He was going through doubts, but I recognize, yeah, he was going through those. And he got out of them. And they they got out of it together. I'm not giving De La Hoya any kind of special credit here, but I got to tell you, the, I'm going to re, again, I'm going to repeat myself. He was in a dark place. He was in a hole. He was in a in a ditch, if you will, if you will, a, a difficult place where he was unsure of himself, where there were things going on. There's no doubt about it. He got out of it, and how he got out of it is to his credit. And part of it is by fighting the guys they fought and building his confidence. That was the tactic they took. That was that was what the doctor ordered. Get confidence. Build up this kid's confidence. He's not as confident as he might talk like he is. He, he's not. And they did it. They did it. They got him the right fights, and they built up his confidence, Ken. And I saw it. And I had to bring that out. Because there's other guys that are going to struggle and go through the same similar things. And there's hope for you. There's a plan for you. There's a way out for you. Garcia's showing it. And sure enough, he's out. He's out of that place. He's out of that darkness, you know, that, that hole. And the plan has been to fight guys that will build him up. They did it. And his talent did it. And he's in a good place now. And I think they're going to I think they're gonna keep him there. I think they're going to keep him there a little longer. Um, like I said, I said it, you know, at the top of this. They're going to keep him there. Uh, and, and I think they're right. I think they're right um, to keep him there. So I just, I just wanted to, for me, that's how I had to capsulate it uh, and, and truly give a proper breakdown of everything. You know, not, you know, the whole car. 
not just talk about the engine, talk about the carburetor, the spark plugs, you know, about the brake systems, about the wheeling, you know, you got all those things in your Ferraris and all that stuff. And uh, to talk about all, all of it, and that's what I want to do, that's what I feel I just did. Um, credit to him, credit to his team, yeah, yeah, to his team, uh, all of them. And they got through it. He's in a good place. I think the plan is going to be move up. He said it. Uh, move up. Uh, he sees. He feels strong. He feels like the king. Uh, that's his name, right? The king, king, king Ryan. Yeah. Um, so he's feeling that way now. And um, to put tattoos on your back with uh, the crown and a sword through the crown, you have to be feeling confident. I'm not joking here. I'm not being facetious. I'm being serious. To do that. You have to be confident. I remember a kid years ago, we were doing his fights. I'm going back 25 years um, somewhere in that area. And the great Mike Acre was his uh, promoter. Uh, I, I miss him. He's gone. I miss him very much. He was one of the smartest men in boxing, one of the most decent men in boxing, knew everything about everyone, everything, uh, promoted Duran and Camacho later in their careers, did very well, uh, smart guy. He had Paul Spadafora. I don't know if you remember him, Ken. Of course and not. He, he was a southpaw, skinny kid, you know, lightweight, no power, but a real good boxer. The old timers would say he could stand in front of you, couldn't hit him in the backside with a handful of buckshot. And and he was a smart, good boxer. They moved him real good. He won the title on, on my air, on our air, on ESPN. I caught a lot of his fights. He was from Pittsburgh. Tough upbringing, tough upbringing. Went through a lot of tough stuff. Uh, I hope he's okay now. I know he was going through a lot of tough stuff still um, with different things. But I hope, he found, I, I hope he found a good place. But he won a world title. And I remember when he was coming to our you know, to the to the meetings before the fights when we would talk to the fighters. And he had a tattoo that you didn't see every day that was around his neck. It was a it was a chain with a gold glove on it, with gloves on it. And I said I remember I said to my partner, the best partner I ever had, Bob Popper, he does the New York Giants football, he does golf channel, um he used to do HBO boxing and he did boxing with me. Uh, we started out the series of Friday Night Fights, which lasted 18 years. And I remember turning to him and saying, hey, partner, this kid is, um, he knows what he's doing here. He's a boxer. Um, he wants to be a world champion. And he put himself on a spot. And he said, what do you mean? I said, he put that tattoo around his neck. When you put that around your neck, you better become that. <laughs> you better become that. Because otherwise, people are going to say, "What's that on your neck for? Yep. <laughs> what do you What do you got That's that a good for?" Point. And like I said, the psychological part is always part of it, Ken. Always part of it. And so I I see that with with Ryan. He put those tags. He didn't put them on before, but he's feeling it now. He's feeling it now, and he put those confident. Uh, boosters, uh, those those proofs for me, proofs of his confidence and his growth. He put those tattoos on his back because he does feel it now. He does feel he's there. And um, good luck to him. Good luck to him, and he's got a great fan base. Yeah, all right. Let's uh, 
Let's talk about your favorite topic in boxing, uh, the corruption. Uh, Sean Nam over at Boxing Scene wrote an article. Oh, by the way, wait, wait. One other thing I got to say that's connected to that show. Really, and it's not a knock. Again, it's us giving everything, right? We x-ray it, we, we cat scan it, we give you we try to give you guys you're there with us, we're there with you. You have a commitment to us, we have a commitment to you to give you everything. I love him. I love him. I love, love the way he acts, to conducts himself, the way he fights, the way he went to Australia to take back to, to take the title home, everything. But you you see how big Haney looked? Yeah. I mean, he he's closer to the light heavyweight division than a lightweight division <laughs> right yeah. now. I mean, he has not been hanging out with Jenny Craig. All right. Well, have you ever seen uh, Have uh, you ever seen Errol Spence in between fights? He looks well, like a light yeah. heavyweight too. I mean, well, that's a, that's a good point. All builds. the fighters, not all yeah. of them, but a lot of them. Yes, yeah. but I'm telling you, he, he has he has not been chugging down slim fast. I mean, no. <laughs> he and I love him. I love him. And we'll get a picture of him up if we can, because my man Rob will. But let me tell you, wow. Uh, put it this way. If you want to be smart with your friends in a boxing circle there, you can guarantee that he's not fighting in the next couple months. Because it's, <laughs> it, it's going to take a little time to get that weight off properly, yeah. obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's where it could be a downfall for some fighters. They don't always have enough time to get it off properly. I mean, that hurt Riddick Bowe. I remember Riddick Bowe, heavyweight champ, talented as hell, um, you know, yeah. and, and he would go too heavy and he'd try to take that for the Galata fight. He, he'd take that weight off and take it off too fast and uh, it, it would deplete you in certain areas. But I had to mention that. Go ahead. Go to the... Go, I was trying to avoid the corruption. I was trying to avoid it the best I could. But you know what? In this sport, Ken, at the end of the day, if you learned anything being with me and being in the sport as entrenched as you are now, as committed as you are now, um, you learned that you can't avoid the corruption. Yep. Well, Sean Nam yesterday in a boxing scene wrote an article about a um, lawsuit being brought against Gary Cohen, a promoter, uh, former employee slash boxing fan, invested 250 grand with Gary, with, um, am I getting the first name right? Gary, uh, sorry, Greg Cohen, Greg Cohen. And um, during the deposition, one of the things that came out was that he was making payments to a sports consulting service that was um, in, in, like very closely affiliated with the WBA, basically pay, essentially paying to get fighters ranked. Uh, get him in line for title contentions. Oh my goodness! Really? <laughs> That's happening? In, oh, 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 let me gather myself. Oh, I feel Can you imagine oh. if you found out the NFL teams were playing to get a, a wild card berth into the NFL playoffs or something? It's just so dirty. But nevertheless, boxing will shrug it off and keep moving. But man, this is a terrible look for the WBA. I mean, t- corruption on so many levels. And they, and they cite, you got to read the article, it's incredibly long and well written. By again, Sean Nam, great job uh, exposing the corruption with the WBA and, and everything associated with it. But this is the kind of stuff that when you talk about it as a boxing insider, like you have on ESPN, their response to you is like, oh, shit, get this guy out of here. We don't want him like spoiling the party for anyone. It's only a handful of people that are making the money. But it's just it's crazy and 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 you you can talk about the ufc and fighter pay and this and that but at least the fighters show up there there is there there is a direct road to the top you keep winning okay your pay gets increased 
everyone fights everyone. You get a fair crack here. It's like, if you're not willing to play ball with these guys, you'll just get pushed to the side. And if you speak up about it, you'll be ostracized from the sport. Um, kind of reminds me of the political scene going on right now in the U.S. Anyone who t- speaks out against the powers that be or the, or the populace is pushed to the side. Even if you're talking facts and they're spewing complete nonsense about men getting pregnant or whatever other topic they're talking about, God forbid you disagree, you're the idiot. Like, mm, pretty sure there's not one single instance in history of a man getting pregnant. That'd be bad enough that you're the idiot. That's bad enough. It's more than that. They... they- they come out with words that shouldn't be used because they're serious words. They're yeah. serious words, and there's serious um, history to those words. And they shouldn't be, it's kind of like the boy who cried fire. They shouldn't be used if it's not in a serious situation, a real situation, an honest situation to connect with it, uh, a legitimate situation to connect. They, they come out with terrible words uh, that are wrong. They say you're homophobic, you're racist, you're, which is terrible to be saying about somebody uh, when you're just weaponizing those words to use for your argument, for your, your, it's terrible. It's terrible because they're serious words. My point is if you point this thing out, if you point out the truth, and it's the same thing with the corruption in Barks, and if you point it out, you're the bad guy. No, you're the one who's got to go. They weaponize, they, they, yeah, if you're not, if you're not part of their rhetoric, uh, you know, uh, the things that they want to spout forward, um, you know, the agenda that they have. Uh, if you're, you know, if if you're not part of that, you're the enemy, and yep. and they will. It's a shame. It's really a damn shame. We have enough problems in this world. We don't need to fight each other. We really don't. We really don't. We should be together. We as a human race, as a country, as a human race, and. They weaponize these things, uh, and it's terrible. It's horrible. Some of these poor people that live good lives and are good to people, all of a sudden they start getting called these names. I mean, oh, oh you're homophobic then. Oh, you're racist then. Oh, you're this then. Oh, my God. Who gives you the right to call these people that because they disagree with you when they live a proper life and they care about the proper things? You know, guys have on Twitter have called me a white supremacist. My, oh, my Ethiopian daughter oh, is come totally on. surprised please when someone stop, calls me stop. a racist. I'm Listen, serious. Stop, stop, <laughs> stop. I mean, you do have that look a little bit of... Uh, of uh, <laughs> Maybe now with uh, the haircut. Uh, no, I'm just saying you do have a little bit of... That, Every that, time I read it, I no, show no, it to my come wife on, and we stop. laugh about it. Stop, I mean, please. <laughs> I mean, you got to laugh because otherwise, what are you going to do? Go out and kill people? Go out and cry? No, seriously. <laughs> Right? I, I mean, yeah, no, you got to have a sense of humor sometimes, but come on. Um, listen, getting back to uh, boxing, anything to avoid the corruption, I even talk biology. But you know what? As I said earlier, joking with you, it's not a joke. You can't get around it. Um, the only difference from the 50s, back in the 50s, Senator Keith Falva had a Senate hearings investigation to get the mob out of boxing. Um, Frankie Cabo and his underlings were, were basically running boxing in, in many ways. They told you who was going to fight for the title, who wasn't. Sometimes they even told you who was going to win. But, um, <laughs> and, you know, they got rid of it. The only difference here now with these sanctioned organizations and no, that time in the 50s, Ken, is that there's no envelopes of cash being exchanged 
in a cigar-filled, smoke-filled room, you know, under a table, that it's being done like business as usual in more sophisticated ways with different conduits to do it with, you know, whether it's to go to one of these corrupt organizations' uh, conventions and buy an ad for $40,000, $30,000. That's an expensive ad, by the way, very yeah. expensive. Especially when the only people reading it are the three people at the conference that yeah, are paying yeah. 100 grand to be there. Well, I mean, a lot of people go to these these conferences because they have to. They have to go there to do such things, to 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 get their fighters rated higher, um, to keep them in the ratings, whatever they got to do. They got to do business. And that's part of the business we were in. Uh, I hate to use a line from The Godfather. Uh, it's the business we've chosen. But it's not the business I chose. It's not the business that good people have chosen, uh, that the fans have chosen. It's the business that it's been mutilated into, uh, that it's been morphed into, unfortunately, because there is no national commission. Listen, I thought that's the answer, national commission. That's the only answer. That's the only, you know why the UFC is not corrupted in those areas? One guy runs it, and he wants to make sure it's not corrupted. One guy. Boxing, no. You got all these power pro not all of them, you got about four or five powerful promoters that are making all the money, and there's, there's no line. There's no line separating the people making money and the people that are so-called enforcing rules. There's nobody enforcing rules. Commissions, come on, it's a joke. Every state commission has their own rules and their, their own people there. There's nothing that connects a solidarity uh, across the board, across the country, uh, a universal set of rules that most importantly are going to be enforced. There's no enforcement arm to boxing. Uh, I mean, it's a joke. It's a joke. The commission could say, oh, yeah, you're suspended. They'll suspend the fighter for doing, it could be for doing atrocious things, and they'll suspend them for like six months or a year. And meanwhile, the fighters only fight once a year. I mean, it's a joke. And, 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 and then the ones that are the untouchables, they don't get touched. So, look, I've been fighting this fight my whole career. I, I, I fought it for 20-plus years at ESPN when I sat ringside and called the fights. And I had a platform. I had some power. And I used it. I used it. Yeah, I cashed the check like everyone else. But I also felt, you know what? I got a responsibility here, a, a privilege, an opportunity to do more than just cash a check. Maybe I can help the sport a little bit, help these fighters that I see crying when they get robbed. And I know that, like Cus used to say, when you get robbed that bad, you know, there's only two things it could be, incompetence or corruption. And when you get robbed as bad as I see, as you, you see, as we see, as the fans see, it can't be incompetence. It can only be corruption. Hey, nobody could be that incompetent. Nobody. <laughs> nobody. So, and then, so I, I did everything I could. I fought the fight. I even met with Senator, God bless him, the late Senator John McCain, and we were trying to put together, we had a panel of people, Ken, like a secret panel of real good people involved in boxing outside the outskirts of boxing that loved the sport, really good people. Uh, I'll throw one name out there, good friend, Joe Spinelli, former FBI agent uh, who investigated boxing um, years ago. Uh, but, but he did the event, but nobody did anything. And... 
him, Jack Newfield was part of that panel. I miss him. Great writer, the great journalist, the great fighter for the underdog. I mean, this was a special man. They were all special. And we had a group. And McCain, we put them together. And McCain, we would talk to McCain or his top guy every week. And we were getting ready to form a national commission. I met, I went down there, I interviewed McCain for ESPN, went down there um, to the Senate, met him, talked to him. And, uh, and then, you know, as I said, we, we went into this, this venture to try to clean up boxing. McCain liked boxing. And we were putting together, we were putting together a draft to come up with this national commission and get the right people in place. And we ran into roadblocks all along the way. Roadblocks because of the corruption. Where all of a sudden a corrupt, hey, I got a secret for you, I'm going to whisper. There, there's corrupt uh, politicians out there too. Yeah, I know. Yeah, there are. Yep, yep. Um, so we ran into some corrupt politicians, senators, that would block it. They would block it from getting passed through the houses. And we would play, oh my God. God, and McCain wouldn't give up. Okay, we got to move on. We got to do this. We got to do that. And, and we kept trying to get it done. And we, we would run into these. What was incredible was we actually found out that the, our draft got shown by one of the senators because McCain had to show it to them in order to get it passed to the houses. And it got shown to none other than Don King and Bob Arrow. <laughs> that, that, that they got to know about it and and uh, they that they you know that they knew about it like they they had a word to say about it it wasn't a good word it wasn't a good word because they didn't want their business as usual interrupted because it was going to interrupt it it was going to it was going to put a, a a few crinks into their you know into what was going on uh for so many years and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, they, they would have to talk about changes with the senator, one of the senators. I'm, I'm not giving his name, okay, but you know, uh, about changing things. And I'm like, all of us were like, why are we even negotiating or talking about the possibility of negotiating with these guys that want to change? That's the whole idea. Of course, they don't want it. They don't want it because we are going to stop business as usual. We are going to clean up the sport. We are going to change things and their life's going to be different. I mean, why would, how could we show them and ask for their approval in any way? That would be like asking Pablo Escobar for his approval of, for people who don't know him, he was the great big giant Colombian drug cartel uh, head. It would be like asking his approval when you're trying to put together a drug administration that's going to knock out drugs coming across the border and everywhere else in the world. So we we just we kept trying, and then something happened. McCain ran for president. <laughs> he had bigger fish to fry, and God bless him. He went on to run for president, and that was that was the end of our. Uh, quest and dream for a national commission but you know what it it's still as necessary as it was then it's still necessary today that's the only answer um every other major sport has it 
basketball, baseball, football, whatever. Uh, everybody has a policing, uh, a national commission to police the sport, to make rules, to enforce rules. Boxing does not. Um, I'll give you a story I've said before. At one time I was at a dinner. I got invited. I was there for a big fight. Uh, it was This one happened to be uh, over across oh, in Europe. And um, I go to the dinner uh, with, with a few of the people that I was there with and that I'm invited with. And it was a dinner that the host was the promoter. And it was a dinner for all the officials that were going to be officiating the fight the next day. And the judges, the referees, the head of the, uh, the, head of the organizations, everybody, they were all there. And it was a dinner which uh, no expense was spared. The best of wine, the best of lobster, filet mignon, you know, like having dinner at your house. And uh, all, everything. And let me tell you, Ken, the real purpose of the dinner, there was a lot of deals done at that table. There was a lot of deals. First of all, everyone at that table knew, it didn't even have to be said, who the promoter's fighter was the next night and who had to win or would, or would make him happy to win. And I overheard a few of the deals. I overheard a few of the judges, a few of the people saying, uh, could I extend the hotel and I'd like to stay here a couple of extra, yeah, no problem, no problem. Just talk to, you know, so-and-so and we'll get that word. Oh, thank you. Um, could I maybe get an extra plane ticket? Uh, I'm bringing my girlfriend in. Uh, yeah, yeah, we could, we'll figure that out. We'll figure that out. Um, you don't think that's, I know it's not an envelope of cash in a cigar-filled room. I get it with a guy with a cigar in his mouth uh, wearing a fedora. I get it. But you don't think that's graft? You don't think that's corruption? I mean, could you imagine this dinner? And I've said it before, and it's a good example. That's why I say it again. Could you imagine this dinner taking place in baseball the night before the World Series with all the officiating crew, all the umpires, everybody in charge of policing the game, right? Enforcing the rules of the game with a dinner being hosted by the Steinbrenners, the owners of the New York Yankees, or by the guy that owns the Boston Red Sox. I got I can't forget about my my guy here. Uh, you know, he wants the Red Sox. John Henry. Yeah, John Henry. But who could you imagine? No, you can't. You can't. You can't. It's not possible. Why? Because it wouldn't be allowed. Because there's a commission in place. Because it would destroy the integrity of the sport. It would, it would take away the credibility of the sport. Now, the credibility of boxing in many ways has been taken away. Many ways. It has. It has. People know the fights are corrupt. They're fixed fights. You want to hear it from me? Yeah, they're all fixed fights. Because they know who's going to win. That's a fixed fight. That's a fixed fight. You don't have to go and tell the fighter what... Uh, you know who's going to get the fight at the end, who the judge... That's a fixed fight. Okay? All right? You don't like it? Change it. Change it. But it can happen in those sports. They can't afford it to happen. But boxing's been around over 200 years. And people will always want to see two men in the ring 
finding out who's better, finding out who could drive who to a place they'd never been before. And maybe along the way, we can learn something about where they go to win, how far they will go to win, where where the real Well, the real parameters of the human will truly are. We don't even know. They teach us that so many times that they're more expansive than we even thought they were. That how far can your will to do something stretch? What is a ceiling? There is no ceiling. These men invent new ceilings all the time. These people, men and women, They invent new ceilings, and people will come gravitate to watch that, to see how far can a human will stretch itself to do something that before tonight seemed to be impossible. Wow, it teaches us. We learn from it. We try to get stronger. We try to breathe it in. We try to breathe in their, their specialness, their strengths. So maybe we could be more special. So the sport will always be around because of that. Because the one thing that's not corrupt is what the noble fighters do when they get in the ring. And searching out new places, new frontiers of how far they will go and can go to conquer, to conquer, to find a way to prevail. That is not corrupt. That is the greatness of the sport, what the fighters bring each time they get in the ring, the potential of that, of witnessing that. But the rest of it, I'm sorry. The administrators of it, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll tell you something. There's a few good people out there, obviously. Uh, One of them, I'm not going to mention his name because I, I don't know if he wants his name mentioned. But he's one of the good guys. Been in the business forever. Promoter. And um, he sent me a text. I'm, I'm going to read what he sent. I'm going to leave the names out. Um, he sent me a text after he read that article. And and there's a manager who's got some good fighters. I, I'll, I'll leave his name out. So I'll just say Mr. X has been paying... each month to get and stay in the WBA ratings plus extra money for the, and again, I'm not going to mention a fighter. I don't want to put him in a precarious position. For the blank, the name of the fighter, title fight. Because this fighter has a title, wants to have a title fight. And this is what you have to do to have it. So in other words, This is as common as having orange juice in the morning. (laughs) He wrote the article, and meanwhile, this guy who read the article immediately sent me this text. (laughs) Immediately. Say, oh yeah, it's happening right now. Right now! As we speak. That's how common it is. And it shouldn't be common. Damn it! It shouldn't be common. And it sickens me. Because when I see these fighters crying, I used to fight for them all the time on ESPN. When I see them fight, and, I, and they fight their hearts out, and they wouldn't fight, and they get robbed because of this corruption, you know, it hurts. 
hurts them, destroys their life sometimes. They, some of them never get another chance. Never get another chance. And, when I, and so I would fight, trying to change it. Where did it get me? Got me fired from my job, quite frankly. On a podcast with me. Well, good. That's the good part. Seriously, there's always yeah. a silver lining, right? And that's the silver yeah. lining for me. You're right. And for my family. On a podcast that we built up to 267,000 uh, subscribers that I'm, I'm, we're very proud of. I'm proud of you. You're proud of me, I hope. Uh, I'm very proud. I'm very proud. And it brought Rob and other people and Sam who, who films it into my life. Good people into my life. And, and it's also moved me into other directions with dynamic striking, making those instructional films with good people and with, with a clothing line that I never thought I would have with a, a real good person who runs that in London, London, uh, over Box there. Raw. Box, Box Raw. Raw. The Teddy Atlas Collection, 36 Collection, BoxRaw.com. Ben Amana, who's the president and CEO of that company. I mean, he's brought good things into my life that probably I wouldn't have had uh, if I didn't get forced to look elsewhere you know, to expand myself in different areas, quite frankly. So it's okay, but it's not okay that it happens to these fighters and it continues in a sport that I've committed most of my life to and other people have too. And a sport, you know, a sport that I, um, obviously that I love and that I care about, but it, it sickens me, that part of it. It has then, it always did, and it, it continues today. And um, I give credit I give credit to that writer. Um, say Sean his Nam. name again. Say his name Sean again. Na Sean Boxingscene.com. I give credit to him. I give credit because the corruption don't only go in the areas I talked about. The corruption goes to the writers too. Yeah, there's plenty of corrupt writers out there. You know, it's not the newspapers that they used to be back in the day when the sport was one of the biggest sports in the country. Now it's internet stuff. And some of them are good. Some of them are good. Uh, writers out, Steve Kim. Some, you mentioned him earlier, so I just reiterate his name. But um, but there's ones that aren't. There's, there's ones, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because in order to exist... Somebody has to take ads on these internets, on these websites. Somebody has to buy ads. Guess who buys them? The people with the money. The people that want to, uh, that have a reason to put certain things forward in their business of boxing. The promoters. The promoters pay the ads. And guess what? Once that happens, forget about it. Forget about it, baby. Forget about getting an honest, uh, uh, an honest write-up for the most part because it's like the great late Mike Agri, I mentioned him earlier, used to say, Teddy, it's pay-per-view. <laughs> Instead of TV, it's print. It's pay-per-view. You pay for the article, you're the promoter, you're the manager, you pay for the article, and then you get to view just what you paid for. You, you want to you wanna say that uh, this fighter who hasn't fought anybody is the greatest fighter, and you think he's the greatest fighter, and he's the greatest fighter since, uh, you know, since Sugar Ray Robinson, and that this promoter's the greatest guy, and that, uh, that he's right and this guy's wrong, and maybe something that's going on uh, out there in the world of boxing, you want to take sides, whatever you want written, just pay and play. And so the, you got a lot of that. And, and that's why Not you don't hear. Teddy. That's why you don't get these articles, Ken. Everyone knows about it. This ain't no secret, Ken. 
Everyone knows about what we're talking about here. But that's why you don't get people. But you get that guy. Say his name again. I want to say his name again. Sean Nam. Sean Nam. You got Sean Nam. And I wish we had more Sean Nams. I wish we had more. Look, look, listen. Obviously, the guy that got me removed uh, is, is, I mean, do people realize this? He's a guy that was indicted in a federal court for, for what this article talks about, for bribery, for bribery. I think they got it. I think the charge that he wound up getting it down to was money laundering, whatever. But it was a long time ago, 25 years ago, whatever it was. And I actually, I actually on my air, on ESPN, said that the indictments were coming two weeks before they came. Yeah, because I had inside sources, obviously, that knew what was going on. But the head of the IBF at the time, the president, Bob Lee, he, 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 hey, he took bribes. He took bribes. It was, it was usual business. Nothing uncommon. And Aram, the guy who runs Top Rank, who's partners with ESPN, I mean, he, he paid them to get his fighters rated higher. And as I said, he got indicted in a federal court for that kind of misconduct, for that kind of stuff. He was part of that. And what is it? How did it hurt him? How did it hurt him? It didn't hurt him. He's getting $90 million a year from ESPN. Or whatever the freaking deal. That's what it was. And he got a four-year deal extended to seven. How did it hurt him? He, I mean, that guy, do you think that guy wants to have a national commission? No, would be the answer. You know, I mean, I mean, Daniel Kinahan, I mean, the, the drug cartel lord that, that has, you know, who's a, one of the biggest drug cartel lords in the world, he was up until not too long ago, he was basically partners with ESPN, which made him partners with ESPN, by the way. By the way. By the way. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how Mother Moose, Goose would have felt about it. I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, or, or, you know, or Cinderella or any of them would, they might have been a little upset because, you know, ESPN is owned by Disney, which is the home of those great kids' characters, right? Uh, you know, whoever would have thought that uh, Murderer's Inc. would meet uh, Mother Goose, you know, or or Cinderella, or or Daffy Duck, or or Mickey Mouse, you know. But nothing that relationship continued until recently with them, until finally the United States government stepped in and they they stepped up and they said that that Kinnahan is not allowed into the United States and none of the associates of his are allowed into the United States. So when they put that kind of pressure, guess what, I got, this is going to shock you. Guess what Aram did? I know it's going to shock you. Threw, threw Kinahan under the bus. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, quicker, quicker, than, uh, quicker than Arnold Schwarzenegger could because he's strong. You know, Schwarzenegger is <laughs> powerful. He could pick up a guy and throw him right under the bus real fast. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, he, he got out of that real fast. He got, but up until then, he didn't. But when they started taking passports from people and saying, you can't come in this country. Oh, yeah, Aram knew what time it was, like that great song of Bob Dylan. He knew which way the wind was blowing. 
He knew. <laughs> and, and listen, I'm thankful for the little things. I'm thankful that Peter Pan didn't get his passport re revoked. You know what I mean? <laughs> really, Ken, you got to look at those things too because then he couldn't fly into all these great kids' you know, houses and into their lives and stuff if he didn't have a passport. So look, you got to joke about it sometimes, but I talked about it seriously too. Um, that's, that's the name of that tune. Uh, it's, it's never going to change, unfortunately. Uh, and, and what I just talked about, you don't think all the writers out there in boxing knew about that? They couldn't write something about that, yep. Ken? Just, just the way that Sean Nam wrote this. You're telling me they couldn't have wrote something? They couldn't have went? There were a couple of writers that touched on it, but nothing happened. It's boxing. They shrugged their shoulders. They say, ah, what are you going to do? It's boxing. Nobody, nobody does nothing. So nothing happened. But give credit again. Say his name again. I know his name. Sean Nam, who will not be getting media credentials from the WBA and sitting ringside in it anytime soon, wrote a beautiful article by Boxing Scene, quoted a lot of facts, quoted a lot of people, a lot of sources. And wear it. Yep. Wear it, Sean. Wear that like a badge of courage, yep. a badge of honor, because it is, especially in today's day and age in this industry. Yeah, good for him. Really? Well, let's get into the UFC Awesome card, as we discussed earlier on Long Island. And uh, let's start with the main event because the, uh, the, the, the main course was not the main event. The main event did not live up to expectations, unfortunately. Uh, started out good. They were cracking each other. And then one thing about Ortega is he's, he's obviously the, the master on the floor. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu wizard. But he's got a chin. My God, he ate some shots against Alex Volkanovski and took up pounding in that fight and kept coming credit to him he's as tough as they get Yair Rodriguez was touching him with some good shots they were hitting each other real good they got into a scramble went down to the ground it looked like Yair Rodriguez was trying to get Brian into a um into an arm bar and Brian real quick tried to jerk his arm out real fast he's had shoulder surgery on both shoulders already and having had that myself in February that is it was as painful as anything I've ever been through in my life apparently he had a torn labrum they put some anchors in to fix it, some screws anchored into the bone, and he basically tried to pull his arm out real fast. It looked like he pulled the arm out of his socket, out of the shoulder. He went down immediately. Yair Rodriguez sensed it. They stopped immediately, and the fight was over due to um, the shoulder dislocation or shoulder separation. But poor guy, man, the thought of having another shoulder surgery for me is unbearable. It was so painful, and I can't imagine having to go through a third one like Ortega is probably going to have to do anticlimactic, sad ending for the uh, for both guys. But how'd you like it before it ended? Not only does he have to go through another shoulder surgery, you wonder if his career can go on, Ken, because like you said, this is the third one. And, you know, he depends on those joints being yeah. strong with his style more than someone else would. You know, because he is a master in Brazilian jiu-jitsu on the floor on the mat. And uh, who could ever forget how he had, it looked like he had Volkanovski, the great, 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 great Volkanovski who teaches us all how to behave when it's hard to behave strong and when it's hard to even think that you have a chance anymore, when it's so easy to submit. That man doesn't know what that word means. I mean, my God, I don't think the lights ever go out in that man's <laughs> house. They, they must stay on yeah. all the time, 24-7. Really? 
Um, he, this Ortega almost had him. Ortega is special. And like I said, I, I worry about his career moving forward that these joints have been compromised, joints that he needs, you know, to do his thing that he does so well. So, great anticipated matchup, number two versus number three. Uh, nobody does it like UFC. They put the best in there with the best all the time. Yeah, it was anticlimactic, but I was ready for a great fight. Everybody was. And unfortunately, that happened. Two gentlemen, they're friends, but they're so respectful anyway as men to each other. It was great to see that admiration, the mutual admiration and respect that they both have for each other. I mean, really, they were, before they went to kill each other, they hugged each other uh, at, at the you know at the first before the first bell. You know, when they're getting the rules, uh, the introduction, they go and hug each other and then they go out to, you know, destroy each other. Um, I mean, these are special people. Uh, most of the UFC people, most of the fighters are uh, in my business. At the end of the day, the first round, you called it striking, a lot of clean shots, was, it was starting to get really heated up. You could see Rodriguez. First of all, I tweeted before the fight started that Rodriguez was mentally ready. I'm not saying that they both weren't, but you could see that Rodriguez was mentally ready. You just see it, his approach, his attitude, you know, everything. He was ready. And then when the fight started, I saw that he was technically, obviously physically they both were, but he was technically ready and he had the right fight plan. He had the right ideas. That's a big part of it. And and um, although the fight was disappointing as they never really got started, one of the things that, again, that I really concentrated on was the preparation of Rodriguez. Ortega's always prepared, we get it. But that he was able to defend the way he did because when they were getting, when they were getting onto the floor, you could just see he knew exactly what he had to do with the strengths of this special guy, you know, uh, on on the floor. And he knew what he had to avoid. There's a reason. What's his nickname again, uh, Ortega? I mean, there's a reason why... Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why... He, not everyone is named T-City. I mean, if you're fighting someone T-City, you better know, you know, your P's and Q's uh, to avoid that T uh, when you're on the floor. And and he did. And as disappointing as it turned out to be for all of us and for them, I, I had to mention, Ken, one thing that wasn't disappointing was the commentating. It was yeah. brilliant. It oh, was brilliant. Good. No, no. I, I, I mean, I that was my job for years, uh, commentating. I, I recognize when someone's not good <laughs> and when someone's good and when somebody's not giving you anything they're telling you the obvious oh the guy landed a jab oh really uh-huh okay tell me if it's day and night out right now too because you know that's 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 about uh that would be around the same lines mr obvious captain obvious uh dc was so good in explaining the intricacies of what was going on on the inside and what they were trying to do to each other. 
and how they could get an edge and what they should do in order to get that edge, to get the other guy in a disadvantaged position. So I had to, I know he just went into the Hall of Fame and again, congratulations on that. He's a good human being and he's a legendary UFC champion. But what a great, what a great commentator he's become. I know Rogan, I know Anik, uh, I, I know Brisbane. Paul Felder, uh, and, uh, he's really well, good too. Yeah, Felder, I mean, he's very good. They're yeah. all good. They, they are. really are. They're all very, but DC was, he was special that, that, for that little bit, it was only for 20 seconds, 30 seconds, but he was really, he really special for, ABC for me. With, his, with the yellow yeah, jacket. Yeah, it's true. That was on ABC. <laughs> Yeah, I remember. Remember yeah. those yellow jackets back in the day? That's ABC awesome. Wild World of Sports with Howard Cosell and all those guys. Um, it, it was nice to see yeah. that again. Uh, it really was. So anyway, it was. Look, the ending was. The ending was disappointing. As I said, I wonder about Ortega's future, being that those joints have been compromised before, and he needs them really badly in order to do his thing. But. Um, Thanks to you, because you gave me a heads up, and I went back and watched it, of a fight that we should cover to make up for what maybe didn't happen in this fight, but to see what did happen in this fight. Now, I'll let you set it up, because it was, Ken, I'm glad you notified me of it, and I'm glad we can talk about it to our fans. I'm sure that they want to hear about it. It was one of the most... Now, this is a big statement coming from Teddy Atlas. I've, you know, I've seen a hell of a lot of fights. It might be the greatest comeback I ever saw. It might be. It might be. It's right up there. It's right up there with, with Corrales, what he did against Castillo in their first fight, and what both Mickey Ward and Arturo Gatti did, taking turns doing in their first epic fight. And it even takes me back to the to the 50s, believe it or not, where, I think it was the 50s, where the great old mongoose, the great Archie Moore, who has almost 300 fights, he was about 45 years old somewhere, and he was fighting Yvonne Darrell, I believe, who was in his 20s. Moore got dropped three times in the first round, 45 years, it's over, it's over, it is over, but it wasn't over. Because Archie Moore didn't say. The great Mongols did not say that it was over. And that's how some people are. That's how some people are special. It's not over till they say it's over. Like Yogi Berra said, it ain't over till it's over. And man, Archie Moore came back and I believe, if my memory is correct, he knocked out Darrell in the 14th round back in the day when they still fought 15. So with all of that, I'm telling you that this might have been the greatest comeback I have ever witnessed. It only went two rounds, but that two rounds was like a lifetime. It was it was like it was like reading three novels. <laughs> uh, really, it, it was it, it told a lifetime story of both men. Go ahead, uh, kid, take it and set it up, and uh, I'll go. Matchnell Sumudarji, Chinese fighter, uh, first round. Good scrap, a lot of strategy involved. Uh, I think Chanel might have been a two and a half to one underdog, if I'm not mistaken. I'll, I'll double check that. But um, Sumudaji looked good. I mean, I thought he had a slight edge. 
They come out in the second round, Southpaw, Sumudaji, Orthodox for uh, Schnell, and they're both hitting each other with perfect lefts and rights, right down the middle. Like you would always say, the Southpaw killer, straight down Main Street. Well, Sumudaji got his timing and distance down in the second round, and he was cracking Schnell with straight, straight lefts, in tight with, with hard elbows, and he rocked him, I'd say, what do you think, three or four times? I mean, he was on rubber legs. Maybe more, maybe more. I was like, oh, this is over. The the ref, if you watch, I watched it back again when I got home. The ref is just about, he's one punch from stopping that fight. Schnell hits him with a straight right, right down Main Street, rocks him, jumps on him, just like a python, gets him to the ground, puts him in a triangle, and just, first he mounts him and starts smashing him with elbows and slicing him up. Uh, Sumudaji gets out of the mount, reverses it, gets on top, and right as he gets on top, Chanel snaps a triangle on him and starts lighting him up with elbows again. And at one point, he's choking him with the, with the triangle, and Chanel tells the ref he's out. Ref grabs uh, Sumudaji's arm. He's, it's limp. When It was interesting. When Chanel let go of the triangle, when Sumudaji is laying there across one of Chanel's legs, his face is just battered. There's blood everywhere. And I was watching it with one of my sons and I said, this guy looks like he just went through the windshield of a car. It's just the blood is everywhere. He's unconscious. Incredible fight to your point. Like people in the ring were like people in the arena. You could tell like, all right, you know, any second now the ref has to stop this. He's, this guy's getting killed. Matt Schnell, to his credit, refused to give up. And uh, man, what a finish. Like you said, one of the best comebacks I've ever seen in UFC for sure. Incredible. Listen, it, it was just, it was one of those wow moments. Just like, wow. By wow. the way, Muda, M- M- Sumadaji was a uh, minus 275 favorite. Sumadaji's only 26 years old. And uh, Matt Schnell's 32. Boy, Sumadaji, as you described, long and tall. Uh, early on, first round, moving mostly on his legs. Schnell pressing, looking to time. Being that he's shorter, shorter arms, looking at time, some of Sumadaji's uh, long shots, and then Schnell took him to the mat, and they were playing floor chess, Ken, you know, both uh, vying for position, and Schnell, Schnell tried with his legs to get him into a triangle hold, then Sumadaji, which was extraordinary, he he picked him up and dropped him. I mean, he uh, for a skinny guy, he showed a lot of strength. He picked him up and he dropped him onto the mat. And uh, it was a close first round. At the end of the round, I, I had Schnell had a little edge, a uh, very close round. But I thought he landed some big, clean strikes while he was on top of Sumajaji while they were on the mat, uh, vying for position in the first round. And then just the wow started. The wow, 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 wow. Um, and it never stopped. Like I said, one of the greatest comebacks I've ever seen. It, it it's just uh, it was extraordinary. Uh, he, I mean, as you said, uh, so much odds. He 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 used his long reach in the second round. Uh, his southpaw left hand, the power hand. You know, you could turn into it. Uh, and he and he hurt him. He he hurt Schnell. Uh, he had caught him. I don't think it was recognized. He caught him before that with a right hook, but the big left hand was the one that was recognized, and he dropped him. And 
And then he goes on to, you said it, I've made it like seven, eight times, whatever, it doesn't matter. He hurts him, he wobbles him uh, another six, seven, eight times, whatever. And not only with clean punches on the chin, Ken, but with clean elbows. Uh, I mean, maybe the greatest chin and recuperative powers I've ever seen displayed uh, by a fighter. I've seen a lot of fighters that extraordinary. I mean, Muhammad Ali had one of the greatest chins you ever see. Um, so many of these great fighters. I mean, the way Arturo Gatti used to get hurt and recover and Mickey Ward, you know, uh, just just so, so many of these guys. But this was up there with the greatest to to have a chin that could take those kind of bone on bone. I mean, elbows is bone, nothing but bone uh, on a chin. Uh, you talk about mental toughness and will and a non-giving will attitude to just refuse to give in and go down. Um, that was on display. For me, you know what it was, Ken? Again, he was teaching us. It was a teaching learning moment for, for us uh, normal humans to see how far the human spirit can reach, to see how extraordinary it can be. Where he was being taken, he being Schnellken, was being taken down a corridor, a dark corridor. It was getting darker and darker and darker. That's how you get knockouts. Unless you get hit a blind shot you never see and the lights go out. You get taken down a corridor. He was getting taken down a corridor, and at the end of the corridor, he knew what was there. He knew it was the abyss. It was the end. It was the dark room. It was what no fighter wants. It's what no human being wants, quite frankly. And he's being dragged. He's being kicked. <laughs> he's being kneed, uh, whatever, elbowed. He's being dragged, pushed, pulled to go down that corridor. And he's just fighting it. He's refusing to go down there. I mean, for all intents and purposes, for all rights, he should have been out. But he had a say in this. Again, a teaching moment to all of us. We have a say in our journey. No matter how difficult, how ugly it might be, how dark it might be, how dangerous it might be, how painful it might be, we have a say until you give up that say. Remember that. I want people to remember this now. You have a say until you give up that say of what you will do. Yes, you do. And his say was to say no. That's all. No. No. He was not going to be dragged down that corridor. He was not. He was just not, and he didn't. And as bad as it got, I mean, Schnell hurts him. He drops him right to the floor, gets on top. He's hitting him all these barrages. I mean, really, it was a hailstorm of nothing but fists and elbows. And like you said, thank God for the referee, a good referee that didn't panic. You know, a lot of people say, oh, he could have waited too long. If he didn't wait too long. He, he knew what these men are. He gave them the right to be what they are. He understood and respected that. And yeah, if it got to that point, he would have stopped it, which he did at the end, uh, obviously. But uh, he it, it wasn't the end because Schnell wouldn't let it be the end. And he's he looks like he's gone. 
he survives that somehow, right? Um, I mean, and then, and then all of a sudden, you see the other guy. I mean, both of them now are refusing jointly to be carried away, you know, and and thrown into to a furnace, <laughs> you know. I mean, they're both refusing to go now, and. Now what happens? Now gets them in a triangle hold. They get to the floor. Of, you know they're on the floor with his legs, as you said, right? Struggles to get a clean grip. And then when he does, do you think maybe you know? I mean, when Schnell turns it around and gets him, first of all, again, not only his chin and his survivability abilities. And his capacity to to recuperate, but to recuperate that quick, to have an offense, to to then switch it around, get his legs around, you know, uh, Samadaji, and you think maybe Samadaji is going to submit and tap out, right? I, I mean, because he gets that hold on him, and. You know what that means. It means that all the air that we need, by the way, we do need air to live, to breathe, to exist. All of the air is being removed from him. I think that, tri- I think that triangle choke is a carotid uh, choke where it chokes off the blood. So the blood the brain, circulation yeah. on top of it. So it's not only the the air, because he probably would have lived without the air, this, this monster that he... Right. No, really, he probably would have. But he couldn't live without the blood. <laughs> I mean, it's just extraordinary. And so he's suffocating, and he's stopping the blood, yep. right? And and he, you figure it's, it's over, but he, he doesn't... He's not going to capitulate. And he has to pass out for it yep. to stop. Refuse to quit he, like Volkowski. I mean, I mean, he's and uh, really, and showed the same kind of will to live as Schnell has shown before, and that's where it comes from. Ken, I was trying to explain it to myself. Where does that come from? It, it's the same reason why we saw these heroes running into burning buildings back in that infamous day that none of us want to remember in our country. Why do they do that? Because they want to live. But Teddy, they go in there knowing they're going to die. But it's for the it's for the love of life that they do it. Life is so important to them that even if they're going to lose theirs, possibly, which they did, they risk it. They run into a burning inferno because of a precious thing called life, because of their desire and respect and admiration and love for life. And it's kind of like these guys. It's about life. It's about living. They don't want to, in their mind, they don't want to die because losing to them, there's a code attached to it. It's dying. It's attached to dying. If you capitulate in any way, you die. You die. And... They don't want to die. It, it's for the. How else could you explain it? The power of that, it's it's for their it's for their respect and desire to live, 
to live. To, to, and what's living mean? For them, it means moving forward. It means finding a way. It means conquer or be conquered. That's what it means for them. There's nothing else. There's, there's no, you know, in between. There's no gray areas. You know, there, there's nothing else. There's just that. It's that absolute. A lot of things in life aren't absolute. We all know that. But for them, at that moment, their conditioning, their training, their beliefs, it is. There's nothing but life. There's nothing, and that means representing it one way, to win. To, to find a way. To not give in to it. To not capitulate. To not submit. To never say no. And we saw Schnell do it. And then we saw... Sumudarji. Yeah, I don't want to mispronounce his name. He deserves not to be mispronounced. Sumudarji. Then he did it. And the only thing that... You know what? I'm, I'm careful with my choice of words here. You know why? I was going to say the only thing that defeated him, nothing defeated him. Nothing. To, as far as he last remembers, he was still in there yep. trying to win. The, the, he, that choice was, he never gave it up. And that's what it's about with these guys, what I connect the correlation with life. You never give up on life. You never give up on living. You never give up on trying, on on finding a way. You never give up on it. And that's their code. That's their commitment to that. He didn't give up that choice. That choice was taken away when the blood just stopped flowing to his head, to his brain. The oxygen was just stopped. I mean, the car wasn't going to stop running. You uh, it's just, you know, because you turned the ignition off. <laughs> I mean, you, you had to go rip the freaking, you had to rip the carburetor out, the spark plugs out, the, the battery out. <laughs> if there was anything left, and then finally you had to rip out the gas tank, <laughs> the, the fuel supply. Yeah. You had to rip it out. You had to rip it, you had to rip it out <laughs> because the car wasn't going to shut That's off. That's for sure. It wasn't going to stop. And, and the car is the human, it's the most magical, special, miraculous thing of nature. It's, it's the human being. It's the human spirit. And it was on full display. Full display. To teach us all. To put us in awe. We should be in awe watching that. That's why I spent this much time on it. We should be in awe saluting these men for what they teach us, what they show us, that there is no enough until you say it's enough. And even then, it's not enough. It has to be taken away the way it was taken away by this set of circumstances to this extraordinary samurai, warrior, human being, man. Just example of what of what the human spirit can do, of where it can reach, of what it can overcome. Both of them. Both of them. I hope they got a bonus, both of them, because Dana White's, he's good that way. He's good that way. I, I hope they both gave, they, they got a bonus. Um, it's times like this that I wish I had that uh, 
extra money like uh you know, like some of these people out there in the world have uh, where I could just uh, throw, throw an anonymous check in the mail <laughs> to, to both of these guys with nothing on it, nothing in it except yeah. thank you. Thank you for teaching us. Um, you know, uh, I was trying to think of some rich people. Musk came to mind. Uh, what, what's that? Uh, what's the name of that guy? Uh, Bezos comes to mind. Uh, and what was that other guy? He's a weird dude. Um, he used to be the richest guy. Oh, Gates. 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 Is that fair to say he's a weird dude? <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair, right? It's a little bit weird. Um, I don't know my Very estimation. Easy. But um, he's rich. <laughs> there's, there's nothing to dispute about that. Um, again, oh, boy, oh, boy. Uh, they remind me the effort of the eternal flame of the Olympics, that it, what it stands for, you know, that flame that supposed to, and it burns through the whole Olympics, it can't yeah. be put out, you know. Um, that flame just couldn't be put out. <laughs> it had to finally, really, the, I guess the only way you put a flame out, you take the oxygen away, right, or the blood away, like we talked about in this case with the carotid artery. But you got to take all the air away for the flame. The flame, otherwise it can't be extinguished. And um, uh, as you can see, I was touched by it. I was uh, I, I was really awed by it, as I said five times already, and um, humbled by it, and appreciative of what we got to witness. You know what those guys have that the rich guys don't have that the rich guys would give anything to have if they didn't have it is their health. And if you want to, if you value your health, you should be taking athletic greens every day. Like I do, especially when I'm traveling, if you use the promo code Atlas at checkout, when you buy your first order from athletic greens, they'll send you 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. And I'd highly recommend that everyone check out athletic greens, use the promo code, show some support and treat yourself to your health, treat it like an insurance policy for your body's health and immunity Take care of yourself, everyone, because no matter how much money you have, nothing can buy you health. A hundred percent. There's no there's no more truth than that. Uh, you see it all the time, unfortunately. You see people, I see it, where it's terrible for anybody. You see people that have someone in their family that's sick, and there's, they got all the resources in the world, and they can't do anything uh, to save them. Yep. So, so take care of yourself. Get your, get your diet right. Keep going with your diet, Teddy. I'll see you Thursday in the city. We're going to record a couple fight plans for some upcoming big fights. And I'm um, looking forward to seeing you, seeing that weight loss. Um, with that. No, I look forward to always seeing you. And um, I'm sure you're going to get a little second trimming <laughs> of the hair. Not much left that, to be even trimmed, looks to be pretty honest. damn good. Down, almost down to the skin now, but... Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you. We've got some uh, we've got some great topics to cover, and um, with that, if you unless you got anything else, we'll say goodbye and ask everyone to please subscribe to the show, leave some comments, share the links, do your thing. Appreciate all the fan support. It was great seeing everyone at the fights, and um, appreciate you, Teddy, for the thorough breakdown this week. Well, thank you. And you know who you look like? A little like Jack Dempsey. Remember yeah, Jack Dempsey, the Manasseh Mola, the, the great yeah. heavyweight champion? He was he was as big as Babe Ruth back back in the day, uh, the 30s, yeah. 20s, whatever that was. And, um, you know, he, he had those side <laughs> walls, you know what I mean? He had those side, yeah. side walls, whatever you call them, yeah. you know? 
and and he was in good shape like you and and he and you almost at the same size because that's how small the heavyweights were back. I mean, at his best, he was what 182 pounds. I mean, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm uh, I'm probably 167 right now. Yeah, but see, if you were around back in then, you would be fighting catchweight fights where you could fight, you know, heavier guys. They did a lot of that back in those yeah. days. They did a lot of that. Well, we'll see the moves in. And, and you had the legs to do it. You had the legs to do if, it. If boxing was all about legs, I'd be the world champion. Unfortunately, the hands don't match You'd be the like legs. Gene Tunney. <laughs> you would be like Gene Tunney. Gene Tunney had great yeah. legs, and he beat Jack Dempsey. Yep. Beat him twice. Yeah. You know? One of, one of the great fighters. One of the great... I want to mention one other thing um, before we... Uh, get off because I had it in my head to mention it. Mike Silver is one of the greatest uh, historians in the business, if not the best. And um, he, uh, he he read the article. I sent it to him too. He was very upset about it because he cares about the sport very much. And I just figured that I'd mention that if you want to learn more about the sport, this great sport and the history of it, Mike Silver is one of those guys that has written it. Uh, he's written it right. Uh, he's he's got about three or four books out there. One of them I know is uh, the Arc of Boxing, uh, you know, and the downfall or what's hurt the sweet size. I I don't have the exact name for it. Um, remembered it in my head, but if you go to the Arc of Boxing, Mike Silver, obviously you're going to find it. But what he does so well in all of his books, and in that book particular, is that he talks about the difference of the fighters back in those days and today, the greatness of the fighters back in those days and today. He compares them and he explains why they were so great. And again, he gives you he gives you a just a real good backdrop of the history of the sport and how these guys where they came from and how they got to where they got to. So I, I just thought that would be good reading for somebody out there, and I just wanted to mention him because, like I said, he got as upset as I did uh, when that article came up. Yeah. Well, thanks for all the intel, Teddy. Again, it was always uh, great as always, and I uh, look forward to seeing you on Thursday. Thanks to Rob and Sam for all the help as always, and we'll see you guys next week. 